Pop. Yes, it's number one. It's Top of the Pops. On March 13, 1975, the British glam pop band Sweet were making one of their many appearances on the English chart show, Top of the Pops. Only this time presenter Noel Edmonds' introduction was a little bit different than usual. Next band have undergone a musical metamorphosis. The style has changed, they produced this number, they wrote it, Sweet to hear, and the Fox is on the run. The message was clear. After spending three years under the thumb of two of the UK's most powerful songwriters, the sweet were free at last. This is Friday's best pop song ever. The Suite began in 1968 when singer Brian Connolly and drummer Mick Tucker left a blue-eyed soul outfit called Wainwright's Gentleman and joined with bassist Steve Priest and guitarist Frank Torpy to form what was then called The Sweet Shop. The band recorded four flop singles for the Montana and EMI labels before replacing Torpy with guitar virtuoso Andy Scott and changing their name to The Suite. A contract with RCA Records followed, where the band was paired with young songwriters Mike Chapman and Nicky Chin, who saw in the suite a perfect vehicle for their diabolically catchy three chord ditties. Tell me, is it really true? Tina Chapman's first hit for the suite was an Archie's ripoff called Funny Funny, which was a trans-European smash. Other equally silly and even more saccharine hits would follow, including a pair of Calypso pastiches, Papa Joe and Coco. This initial string of lightweight chart toppers would culminate with Little Willie, a Who-inspired number that not only scored big at home, but also went top 10 in the U.S. The trouble with this is that, while the sweet public face was that of a fresh-faced bubblegum band, as a live act they were fashioning themselves after hard rock bands like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. This and their body lyrical preoccupations ensured that any teeny bopper who went to see them in concert would find out that they were not the wholesome pullover clad mop tops seen on their single sleeves. If we don't fuck you, then someone else will. 
This contrast chafed at the band, especially given that RCA would not let them write their own singles and instead consign their compositions to B-sides. This was compounded considerably by the fact that they were not even allowed to play on their early singles, instead providing their unique vocal sound, tight four-part harmonies taught by Scott's stratospheric falsetto over backing tracks recorded by studio musicians. Chin and Chapman's solution to this was to write songs that, while still bubblegum, had enough of a metallic edge to them to accommodate the band's guitar-heavy sound. The first of these was Wig Wham Bam, a song whose cartoonish portrayal of Native American culture would inspire a typhoon of hate mail if released today. Still, it was very catchy. It was also the first of their singles in which the band was allowed to play their own instruments. A string of similar, more rocking singles continued, including the number one hit, Blockbuster. The result was that, by 1975, the band had become known as purveyors of kid-friendly hard rock in the style of songs like Teenage Rampage. This change in style was accompanied by a change in look. In this, bassist Priest proved to be the peacock of the group. Bored with the routine of appearing on top of the pops over and over again, Priest resolved to wear increasingly outrageous outfits each time. For Wigwam Bam, he wore a giant Indian headdress, and for Blockbuster, controversially, he wore a German army uniform complete with spiked helmet and Hitler mustache. Meanwhile, the remaining members of the group experimented with a more effeminate look, wearing heavy makeup, sparkle jumpsuits, feather boas, and of course towering platform boots. This look clashed interestingly with the rough looks of Scott and Tucker in particular, who as opposed to the more cherubic priests, looked like dock workers in drag. Then came the day when RCA rejected the band's latest Chin and Chapman pen single, a genuinely weird song called I Wanna Be Committed. By this time, the songwriters had found more compliant collaborators in Mud, Susie Quattro, and the country rock outfit Smokey, so it's possible that they were just trying to rid themselves of the suite, who had little compunctions against complaining about them in the music press. Whatever the case, Chapman, when contacted on vacation by the desperate band, told them that there was nothing that he could do for them. They were on their own. The suits at RCA suggested that Fox on the Run, a track off the band's last record, Desolation Boulevard, could make a good single although it would have to be recorded. 
The British release of Desolation Boulevard was an entirely different animal from the US one, which was essentially a singles collection. The UK release was a raw sounding set that was more close to the band's live sound, with Fox on the Run bereft of the soaring harmonies and wall of synthesizers that would distinguish the single version being one of the rawest of the tracks, due in part to the vocal rasp of singer Brian Connolly, who was at the time recovering from a throat injury he'd received in a bar fight. According to Andy Scott, RCA stressed the need for the song to have an intro that would catch listeners' ears immediately. With that in mind, he brought his art synthesizer into the studio and fashioned by hand, because that's how it was done in those days, the iconic pulsating sine wave intro that, in the 43 years since, has become Fox on the Run's unmistakable calling card. A pause for nerdery. Coincidentally, that intro is very similar to that of Martian Hop, an obscure novelty song by the Wildwood, New Jersey group, The Randells, which pioneered the use of a sine wave generator in pop music, although The Randells had in turn borrowed it of a piece from a recording by electronic musicians Tom Disavelt and Dick Raymakers. Of course, Scott didn't stop at the intro, instead going on to pad the re-recorded track out with interweaving synth melodies and glistening electronic arpeggios. In doing this, he at once fleshed the track out and gave it its irresistible pop sheen. In an interview on his website, Scott says that, while he had used synthesizers as background color on other sweet songs, this was the first of their songs on which synths took the lead. In this, the band was following in the tradition of the Who's Baba O'Reilly, which pioneered the use of synthesizers in guitar-driven rock music. The combination of Scott's synthesizer wizardry, the band's hard rock attack, the shimmering harmonies, and that tension-filled intro ensured that no other song of its era burst out of the speakers the way that Fox on the Run did. Upon its release in March of 1975, it rose to number two on the British charts and went on to become one of the band's biggest U.S. hits thus far, peaking at number five on the Billboard charts. Since then, it has become a staple of AM Gold playlists and ironic movie soundtracks, and should remain so for as long as people are fascinated by the 70s. Following Fox on the Run, the suite released Give Us a Wink, an album of thudding heavy metal before perhaps missing their perch atop the charts, retreating into middle-of-the-road pop. period yielded Love is Like Oxygen, their last top 10 hit in the U.S. Good 
The ensuing years have seen Sweet's legacy grow due to them being an influence on 80s hair metal bands like Poison, Motley Crue, and Daft Leppard. This has made busy men of both Andy Scott and Steve Priest, both of whom front competing versions of Sweet with a variety of pickup musicians. As for Mike Chapman and Nicky Chin, the duo continued writing naggingly catchy pop tunes into the 80s, creating at least one song that we may never be allowed to forget. But for all their facility with melody and hooks, the team would seldom write a hit as timelessly iconic as Fox on the Run. And this is where the sweet one in the end. Despite the material success that their bubblegum hits afforded them, it is Fox on the Run, not Funny Funny, not Papa Joe, not Coco, and not Little Willie that they will be remembered for. And now here, in its entirety, is Fox on the Run by Sweet. Go! 
You've been listening to the Friday's Best Pop Song Ever podcast. I'm your host, Todd Statman, letting you know that in addition to Fox on the Run, we also heard a whole lot of other songs by this week, including Juicer, Funny Funny, Papa Joe, Coco, Little Willie, Someone Else Will, Wigwam Bam, Blockbuster, Teenage Rampage, I Want to Be Committed, Cockroach, and Love is Like Oxygen. We also heard a cover of the sweet song Action by Def Leppard, as well as Martian Hop by the Randells, Baba O'Reilly by The Who, and of course, Hey Mickey by Tony Basil. All of which are the property of their copyright holders and are presented here by me for informational purposes only. I also want to mention that in researching this episode, I depended heavily on the book Children of the Revolution by Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas has also written an excellent book about Sweet called Blockbuster. I also depended a lot on a series of videos by Sweet guitarist Andy Scott, which he's posted on his website, thesweet.com. I'll be back next month with a song that I'm sure you will agree is Friday's best pop song ever.